0: To Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host Caleb Frankert and I'm joined by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Jason Burnell. Fine. Caleb, can a podcast
1: about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol? All right. Now we go off. Oh, the all right, let's mix it up. There you go. Yeah. Crab, I yeah, I've
0: been bragging the last two episodes Did you that you I had yet? That... Yeah, definitely. Oh, man. There's a script here. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's okay your parts are done (laughs) all right oh gosh drinking tequila today yes i think that's why i forgot yeah i'm excited you're uh i like tequila yeah well why not it's starting to feel like tequila weather out there so it definitely is this is this is a cute little drink it's pretty yeah it's pretty pretty it's uh got must have the oh it's uh what a. Is it cherry grenadine? Grenadine, yes, I see. There's grenadine. You can see the, you know. I used to just surprise you with the ingredients, mm-hmm. and then let you take a drink and see what you thought. Yeah. Now we can we can see all. But the I was wrong itself, so often so. that you can't do that to me anymore. True. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're drinking a drink, the Mexican firing squad. Today. Whoa, sounds nice. intense, doesn't it? Yeah. But I don't see anything that's like real fiery.
1: No, other than I just don't tequila, think it's super I intense.
0: I have something up my sleeve for next week's episode. Ooh. The finale episode. Oh. So we are closing in. On closing out the tab? On closing out the oh, tab. Oh, wow. I was, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. For the last time. For the, Yeah. Wow. One tear. I will.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't own the rights to that music. So moving on. <laughs> All right, Jason. Well, we are drinking tequila today. Mexican firing squad. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about what we got going on here, and then All we'll right. jump into the finance topic. So, obviously, tequila. Yes, we've got two ounces of tequila, three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, freshly squeezed, which is difficult when you can't find the citrus press. By the way, <laughs> three quarters that of an ounce. That doggone flood. It just disappeared. Yeah, didn't it's it? gone. I don't know where it's at. Someone took it home. Yeah, someone I know took it home. Probably, probably the intern. <laughs> anyway, it took like. Two whole lemons to get that, <laughs> and there's juice in there somewhere still. So, but anyway, yeah, three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, freshly squeezed, uh, and we can't emphasize enough: don't buy the sweetened lime juice for these kind oh, of drinks. Oh, yeah, it's geez. just not as it's good. It's just nasty. Three quarters of an ounce of grenadine, which is a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of grenadine. That's why it's like it's very fluorescent Hawaiian red, punch right? looking. Okay, yep. And then four dashes of Angostura bitters, garnish with lime. No, I I actually did not go overboard this time. Normally, mm. I see that and I'm like, two means four. I'm trying to like, where did this drink come from? I don't know. You know, we used to go over like the history of these drinks and things like that, and it just seems like a great like a great name. But yeah, but what what does it mean? I don't know. It came from the Cucaracha Cocktail Club in Mexico City. All right, like the chuc- chupacabra no not the chupacabra the cucaracha (laughs) i saw something funny online that uh, on the internets the googles the googles it said uh, someone posted a picture of a cayabara and said why is everybody so afraid of these chupacabras look how friendly (laughs) they're that's not a chupacabra
1: (laughs) yeah i had many a chupacabra story growing up just (laughs) so you know yeah that was a good that was a good you grew up being afraid of the chupacabra yeah i mean my dad was you know First gen Mexican, so yeah. or he is he wasn't. He's still he's, he's not still recovering, is. but he's yeah. still with us. <laughs> he's
0: still with us. And that was uh that was scary stories. Did yeah. you have the boogeyman at your house, or was it just chupacabra? I don't think we had the boogeyman. Okay. I think we, I mean, we might definitely be, had the chupacabra. That might be too traumatized. And the ojo. I don't know what that is. O o j o the the eye the evil eye. <clears throat> See, someone's going to
1: comment on this and be like, we had the same <laughs> thing and I was terrified. And we're drinking tequila too.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, uh. this is a really pretty drink. All we did was with ice, mix all these ingredients up in a mixing glass, stir it up good, and then strain it into a rocks glass with, with fresh ice. Ooh. And it looks pretty. Looks like it does. Hawaiian punch. Let's see what happens. I bet it tastes doesn't like, taste Jason. like Hawaiian punch. Well, most of the time, Hawaiian punch Ooh. does not have tequila. Smells interesting. (laughs) Kind of margarita-ish. I love you. (laughs) Have I ever said that? No, that was the first time.
1: (laughs) Why did we wait to have tequila till the
0: second to the last episode? We've had tequila.
1: Why didn't we do this more often? I've been saving (laughs) this one for you. I've been saving this one for like 10 episodes. That's so
0: good. It's very much like... Honestly, this feels like a margarita... Like a almost like a uh, it's like cherry a fruit margarita punch, or fruit something. Punch
1: margarita. It's like that's it's, great. It's really
0: good. Yeah. Mm.
1: Good one. And it's very summery. Oh. That's nice.
0: Man. That would be dangerous.
1: And I think with tequila, what we have found, the
0: better the tequila. Oh yeah. The better the
1: drink. Yeah. I, I I don't know that I've hit the top
0: shelf tequila yet, but uh, I've Man. had some pretty good tequilas. I mean, Cuervo is good for mixing drinks. This is great for margaritas. Yeah, I this think, is but perfect. I mean, like Patron Silver, that makes a heck of a margarita. That's I what that I have at home, and that here. is my favorite by out of all the uh, tequilas that I've had. I've had a couple of really top shelf tequilas that I wouldn't dare mix with anything. That's interesting. But it, you know, when you think about it, would it make a better margarita? Probably. Probably. Yeah. It, there's not like that bite
1: in a good margarita. Yeah. or good tequila i mean it, it's it's smooth
0: mm-hmm. this is very smooth by the way like tennessee whiskey <laughs> Oh, mellow <laughs> mellow <laughs> i do like some uh, tennessee whiskey i have to admit chattanooga mm-hmm. distillery is it is it chattanooga distilling company i don't know it i think that's matter. what it is they've got a really good bottled and bond they've mm-hmm. got a good cask strength whiskey it's bourbon made in chattanooga yeah it's whiskey. When it comes to Jack Daniels, Old Number Seven, not a no, fan. No, me but neither. But their Barrel Proof is really good. Oh yeah, real good. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I don't hate all Tennessee whiskey. Me neither. Just the one that everybody likes. <laughs> so, all Just, right. Well, this is a pretty good drink. Great drink, really. I think it's, it's at home for summertime. It's like a cherry margarita. That's yeah. what I'm going to say. Is is that what's in grenadine's cherry? The, right. The
1: bitters, though, it's the orange and the cherry together that makes it. Yeah, the bitters. Yeah. I. You know what. It's not because I am actually not a cherry fan. Okay, yeah, that's smell that. That's all cherry, right? Yeah, that this doesn't taste like that. It the orange. That's, that's this like is almost punch. medicinal like, smelling. Yeah, but it does not come through in the drink. Well, at that's all. what grenadine. You always have that kind of
0: risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna lose my lime wheel here. I just threw mine inside because that's that's <laughs> well, how I roll. There you go. <laughs> all right, Mexican firing squad. I would do it again. In oh, fact, yes. I'll probably do it again this weekend. <laughs> Okay, yes. Jason, so moving on moving to the on. finance topic, you know, we are wrapping this thing up here mm-hmm. in the next mm-hmm. couple episodes, and there's a lot of fodder here for multiple episodes, but I kind of gathered a couple of ideas, and uh, we're going to talk about a handful of financial myths debunked. Ooh. Yeah, so a lot of those those things that you commonly hear, like, well, you know, it's always X, Y, Z, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Eh, not necessarily. We're going to talk about some of those today, Jason. I am... 100% unprepared for this episode. I know, and I wanted to keep you in the dark on this because Ooh. I know you have opinions about all of these, Oh, so I thought it would You're gonna be You're going to make fun. me go uh, get off my lawn again here? Uh, You might on okay. a couple of these. All right. Well, let's, let's just get right into it. Okay. And I didn't arrange these in any specific order. Pacific? Pacific, <laughs> I? yeah. I didn't arrange it in any specific order. So right. we're just going to go with the first one that I have here, which is I can make a lot of money day trading. Ooh. And I'm going to put in there as a 1B. I should be looking at my investments daily. Ooh. All right. So obviously, I <sighs> put this in the myth category, Jason. I know. Day trading you- is just impossible. Are you saying day trading's for losers? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I have only met one person in my entire career that was successful at day trading, and it wasn't for very long. And that person was me. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh- <laughs> it wasn't you, actually. Okay. So... uh well, okay, um, so you they were and I,
0: wildly disciplined with how they approached it. It's interesting you say wildly disciplined because I don't know that day trading and wildly disciplined there definitely can be a process. I think But of, they were day trading. Based on when we grew up and when we were in high school and college yeah. and getting into all of this stuff, I would say there are a couple of things that probably made a big impact satellite tv oh yeah cnbc jim 24 Cramer.
1: hours a day yeah you know <laughs> uh, and,
0: and I, I think that that you know hearing a guy yell booyah oh, uh gosh. with his sleeves rolled up and yeah. just acting crazy Full of energy yeah got a lot of people really into this day trading yeah. thing right yeah yeah he did
1: real good with that
0: uh, silicon <laughs>
1: valley bank
0: called it well let's let's talk about it right yeah. yeah so i mean there are people who have a platform obviously that are, are pushing this mm-hmm. this idea uh, why are they wrong <sighs> <laughs> they're not wrong, okay? Like they're not totally wrong. I just think it's very difficult. I think the
1: system is set up against the average day trader. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. So, if I was running a 100 million dollar charitable trust and I was able to have some clout in the market, mm-hmm. get my orders in in the right order, maybe have a relationship on the floor, uh, I would I you might be able to make it work. Mm-hmm. Okay? But the average guy with you know, his robo or whatever app
0: he's using, probably isn't going to be able to make it work. So in my experience, when I was in college and had a little bit of money to scrape together, I decided I'm going to try it. Mm -hmm. I was taking portfolio management classes and things like that. And I I would even say in college, Jason, that it was very stock picky centric. It was oh, we were de- learning definitely. how to value stocks. Definitely. To to look at financials, you know, we were looking into all the different, you know, book values, P/E ratios, mm-hmm. all that good kind of stuff, yep. which I think was it was good for us to learn it's for de- sure. It's definitely good. But it really gets you itching to to go pick some stocks and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm getting I'm getting the hang of this. Let's see what I can do." So my first experience, I I put $10,000 into a Ooh. TD Ameritrade account. Nice. TD America Trade. Yes, America Trade. (laughs) And I decided, okay, I'm going to research some companies and I'm going to... Now, I would say that I wasn't coming at it from a day trading point of view. I wanted to make good picks and then write them out. I actually, and, and you'll recognize this, a lot of our listeners probably will, I also subscribe to investors business daily and was using their whole can slim philosophy ah you remember oh yeah so when you talk about day trading and discipline i would say well some people do employ this and that was an approach where it it was a process that you do x and then you do y then you do z and when this happens then you do this then you do this and a lot of that was centered around when you're up this much you sell this much you let this much ride and then you reinvest you know the excess somewhere else and that's exactly that's
1: exactly what the one person that I met in my entire career that was successful, mm-hmm. that's exactly what he did for about 10 years.
0: Yeah. It was a long time. So I would say, from my experience, and I wasn't using the can slim like to the T. To the T, yeah. Well, you only had 10
1: grand in there.
0: Right. Only and 10 grand. I, I would put it this way I picked a couple of real winners. And I also picked a couple of <laughs> real losers. Yeah. And it's been my experience with stock picking, even for someone who does this for a living. And and mind you, okay, I guess I should clarify, we're we don't we do not claim don't to be trade. stock jockeys, mm. we don't day nope. trade. We're not um, a stock shop We don't at do all. yeah, we don't do individual stocks. But for someone who does finance for a living You know, I would say that what happens is generally you're going to pick some winners, you're going to pick some that don't do anything, and then you're going to pick some losers. And generally, my experience with that has been, and with my clients who have gone outside of their accounts here and Mm -hmm. set up that, I call it mad money account, the scratch the itch account, same kind of thing. You basically break even when it's all said and done. You're real excited about some of the winners. Really disappointed in the losers. Well, you don't really
1: pay attention to the losers, or you try not to. Mm-hmm. I just went online and I said, "Let's. What are some stats for day trading?" Mm-hmm. I think this is pretty good. Forty percent of day traders quit after one month.
0: Wow! After That's three 30 years, hard days of day trading, man. <laughs> after three years,
1: only thirteen percent of day traders remain. Interesting. Ninety point five percent of day traders are men. That makes sense. Yeah. That's, so you know, there's a little bit of ego going yeah. into this. Robinhood reported that one of its users earned over $30 million in a single day of tra- day trading and that's what
0: attracts people. Yes. Okay. So, it kind of piggybacks on the get rich quick idea that we talked about a couple of episodes But back. here's
1: here's the real stat. Only 13% of day traders were consistently profitable. Yeah. That's those are not good numbers. No. So, 1% of day traders were consistently
0: able to make money over a period of five years. Let's put that into perspective, 13%. You really have better odds betting on sports, probably, if you stick close to the Vegas line.
1: I would bet the odds are better on on sports.
0: Yeah. Seriously. That's that's wild. It is.
1: I mean, again, it's not set up for the small guy. Okay. Okay. It it just isn't. And I, I just, a few weeks ago, I told... The audience that we had, I'd went to a local high school. This was one of the subjects that came up. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard, again, all boys. So there you go. Fits the stat that we're asking these questions. It's really hard to convince somebody that they they think they have some kind of knack or inside information. Convince them that they don't. Yeah. And it's kind of like this doesn't really work, but it could for me. Tell me the names <laughs> you're picking. And, you know, it's all the typical stuff. And these uh-huh. are big names. You are everything is against you. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so I'm going to say it's not for me. You're taking the odds of being profitable are very low. The odds of being profitable for the diversified portfolio for an extended period of time are so high. Mm -hmm. Why would I? Why would I take? Why would you worry about it? Yeah, and if you think
0: about it, the cost that you pay for someone to manage it, whether that's in a mutual fund, index fund, or a financial advisor that's doing portfolio management if you think you look at those numbers, it's a small price to pay. Exactly. So yeah, debunked, I would say. It's not the norm. It can happen. But we're proponents of well-diversified portfolios. And I'm going to say it. We've had to say this to clients too recently. Diversification doesn't make you rich, but it keeps you from growing broke. Yeah. It means I'm going to say I'm sorry a lot. (laughs) It's the behaviors that get you where you're going. Yeah.
1: You're not going to hit a home run. I think that's a better way of putting it. And And you still might have a good year. I mean, in our diversified portfolios, we've had thirty percent years. Sure, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean,
0: I don't know. That's a lot of money. Well, I, I think we've talked about this in multiple episodes. You know, we did talk about it somewhat in the baseball episode. Yeah, we talked about you know is the stock market gambling? All those kind those parallels that we're drawing here. We're not saying that. Yeah, the market's really tough. It's a rough place to be. It's it's worse than gambling on sports. No, that's not what we're saying. With a disciplined approach. With mm-hmm. a well diversified approach, you win most of the time, actually, and, and that's how
1: these managers of funds, ETFs, mm-hmm. are doing it. They have a hundred million dollars to work with, so, and that's it, a big key to being diversified. It is. I mean, institutional clout is a thing, mm-hmm. and so you know when you put your trade in for two shares of Meta, yeah. you're probably going to get squished by the person that put a trade in for a hundred million. So, absolutely. Just a thought.
0: All right. Well, let's move into the next one, Jason. This is a fun one. And again, I said they're in no particular order here. All right. But one of those other myths, and I whittled these down, by the way. We could have probably done a couple of episodes of these. For sure. How about renting is throwing your money away? Oh, gosh. And really, the thesis here is it makes more sense to own than rent all the time. Yeah. What do you think? I'm going to say that's definitely a myth. Owning a house is expensive.
1: Okay. Yes. It's also unpredictable. People think like having that consistent payment because of your mortgage or whatever is is certainty. Uh, The problem is, is you can't predict all the things that are going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. My experience with this statement is typically like young people who don't have two dimes to rub together, going out and buying houses to avoid paying rent. That's usually where this is coming from. Yeah. So number one you better have an emergency fund. You better have a down payment. So this house is a blessing and not a curse, right? You should
0: probably have a, an income that can support things that pop up too.
1: And income is very
0: important. Yep. And by the way, <laughs> the banker or loan officer is probably not going to be a good gauge on whether your income is enough to not only afford the mortgage, but the other things that can go wrong. Because right. remember, in that case, you're the landlord and the renter. Right. When, when a toilet leaks, you're the one fixing it. When, when your water filter out, breaks, and- <laughs>
1: yes, you're the one fixing
0: it. And I, I go back to, you know, whenever we bought our house, which was in 2007. So right before or sorry, 2006. So right at the height of Ooh, perfect. All the mortgage fund. That's why you still live there. <laughs> no, I really hate moving. That's one one reason. But and you love your house. It's all right. <laughs> it's cheap to live there, which I really love about it. But I would say that there was a time where, mm-hmm. and I was completely convinced of this mentality that renting's stupid. Why would I throw my my money away? At least I can go to equity, something that I can tap into down the road or something. something and then 2008 happens. <laughs> well, and luckily for us, we were fine. However... There was a long time there where, in the back of my head, I was thinking, "Man, we're we're a furnace away from financial catastrophe." Exactly. Right. Having we're, to use a
1: credit card, or yeah, we're a roof leak away right. from
0: you know. Do I have to sell my house because I can't afford to fix it? And I think that this mentality that we have is that renting is stupid, and also that everybody, everybody, yeah, has a right to own a house, which. Has been perpetuated over the last 20 or so years. Definitely. And, and we put a lot of emphasis on it too, that that's, that's like your main thing, your right. house, that's your everything. So, home ownership is this this thing that we all aspire to. It's, it's synonymous with the American dream. And I'm just going to say the truth of the matter is not everybody should be a homeowner. And there's lots of times when I'm fixing stuff at my house that I go, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it ties you to one spot. Yeah. So, if you
1: have like flexibility, you know, that's really valuable. Especially if you're young in a career. Well,
0: heck, if I would have moved two years after buying my house, if I would have had a great job opportunity, we would have moved. I would have been upside down selling my house. Right. Exactly. So it's taken a
1: long time, 15 years. Sure. For you to get to the other side of that equation. And yeah, I mean, I I think a down payment, no more than 25% of your take home for your mortgage. Mm-hmm. And these are all things I say to do and things that I haven't necessarily done in my life. So don't judge me, okay, people that know me.
0: Well, if okay. you're listening and you want to know more about this, dude, we did a right. How Much House Can You Afford episode. Yeah. And so again, I think
1: renting is actually a very smart financial decision. Early in an uncertain situation,
0: it's it's perfect. Flexible. So. Yeah. I always say flexibility I love is uh, one of your most important assets. Well, and that's so. definitely something that's gotten us
1: further in our career. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely.
0: I mean, it's made career decisions easier. Right. That's
1: for sure. Yeah. Knowing I mean, any, if you any. have a $5,000 a month house payment, I mean, I mean, I, I was at a conference recently, an advisor was there, uh, lived in New York State, not in New York City, mm-hmm. just paid over a million dollars for a house. Mm. And he's like, yeah, it's like, Thirty-one hundred square feet. It's a pretty nice house, but his house payment
0: was like six thousand dollars a month. Hey, living in Northwest Ohio Oof. is pretty darn affordable, by the way. I know, I know. All right, so that's a good one. That and that's kind of uh, reiterating again. Like I said, one of our prior episodes, which I think is worth checking out if you're in the market for a home or, or you want to learn it's a little okay bit more about rent, that. Guys. it's okay. It's absolutely okay. All right, how about this one, Jason? I don't need an emergency fund. I use my credit card, and I'm going to add to that that why would I have an emergency fund after all? Interest rates are higher, but my bank accounts aren't paying anything. So I'll just use my credit card when I need to. What do you think? Wow. I can't imagine living
1: in a financial household that doesn't have an emergency fund. That's how I grew up. I mean, so, you know, my kids don't even think twice that mom and dad can, you know, put new tires on the car mm-hmm. or
0: the furnace bro- dies. We have an emergency fund. I- not having to go to the credit card every time something outside of it
1: is an the unreasonable happens. unnecessary stress in your life to not save something mm-hmm. in an emergency fund again what it does to you, all the other the rippling decisions through your life job changes relocations buying new vehicles doing it just ripples through all of that stuff that you can't you can't discount the ability to be like, I've got some cash over there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, we're we're going to be good. It also like adds to the discipline of, you know what? You don't need all that crap. Yeah. You have to ask yourself: Am I just on a constant pursuit of things? Am I being a good steward? Right? And am I actually caring for the things that are most important? I'll, I'll tell you, it was
0: stressful growing up in a household where money was tight all the time. Yeah. It just was. Well, and it kind of, uh, you know, this piggybacks off of the home ownership thing, right? If if you can't afford to keep the household going without using the credit card, if, if everything comes up, you know, you kind of talked about it too. Stewardship is important. What I find often, whenever I'm talking to folks with this kind of a situation, we're not dealing with a, oh, well, you don't have an emergency fund because you don't like the fact that you're not getting any interest. That's not the case. You don't like a budget. (laughs) Right. You don't like the boundaries it creates. You don't like the
1: the discipline that it requires. I mean, it's the same reason why I don't like to exercise. <laughs> it,
0: absolutely. Hey, and by the way, I don't like to budget. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's not I, something I, I like don't like to either. do. So for someone starting out, and I understand that not everybody starts out with a big emergency fund, but that needs to be one of your goals that you're working towards. A priority. Absolutely. Really? And, and this is and you like, might have a credit card in the meantime before you get there, but sure. that should make you super uncomfortable, especially in this environment where interest rates are going up. Yeah, I mean, it's if you just do the math...
1: Sit down, you know, take a take $1,000 times 25%, you know, you're talking $250 just lost in interest typically right. on an annual basis. For the
0: convenience. The
1: convenience. And again, to avoid the discipline, the constant pursuit of things. Mm-hmm. So you have additional income or additional uh, spending money. I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't like this one. And I, I think the sad side effects of these ones are like, what does that do to your marriage?
0: How does that stress transfer to your children? I, I just have the clip of Arnold Schwarzenegger in kindergarten copying, You lack like discipline! <laughs> right? Good one. Well, we got to move along. But these are actually flowing together pretty good well. Job. Because the next one is, Jason, Ooh. Hey, good deals. You can't afford to not take a good deal. That's, oh, after all, you're saving money. Our studio audience <laughs> is like losing it over here. Oh, <laughs> It's a good deal. I'm saving money. Well, are you, though? Yeah, this is a tough one. This one hits close to home. Okay, so if it's something you need, something you were already in the market for. That's a definition that's pretty loose. If it's money you were going to spend, then yes, a good deal is saving money. Correct. But what about, mm, I'll throw myself under the bus. Someone comes in with a nice (laughs) guitar that I don't need, but got a good deal on it, right? Yeah, now, I'm just going to leave it at I got a good deal. Did I save money? Heck no, I didn't save money. No, cuz you weren't really looking for it anyway. Right. Uh, I I don't know that we're good examples though cuz
1: we're in a <laughs> we're in a part of our life where we have discretionary income, so Finally, finally, <laughs> only took 20 years. I think that there this is a very thin line that you're walking. I do believe many of the things that Got us got me to the financial point that I'm at mm-hmm. was because I had a, a my wife is a home economist and is just really good at saving money uh-huh. on groceries, especially when money was tight. It's not as tight now, so we don't necessarily
0: use like a gazillion coupons and all that stuff. But so you know, we stock up though, definitely. <laughs> but those are things that you're going to buy anyway. What's really funny about that, I hear you saying that your wife is a really good home economist, Mm -hmm. and you know what? I know that you're good at finding good deals, whether you need them or not. That is probably one of my biggest weaknesses. I'm the same way. I find good deals all the time. Like, oh, that's a good deal. Like, can I I really pass this up? I can tell you right now,
1: I bought my car that way, (laughs) my truck, the camper, like
0: all of these things that I'm like, they're just deals I can't pass up. Yeah, I, I would put it this way. Don't spend the money unless it's something you were going to buy. And that doesn't mean don't spend anything outside of necessities. But if it's something you've made a family decision on, a conscious decision that you're going to spend the money, then I would say, absolutely, look for the best deal you can find. Right. And then you've saved money. And that's me. I mean, I can't, I can't, I I just can't turn that off. But if you spend all your money on good deals, you're not saving money. Yes. All right, let's move to that's the That's like the, the greatest uh, definition ever. <laughs> look, look at how these are flowing together, though, yeah. Jason. The last one I have here today is... Ah, you'll spend less when you retire, and you'll save more when you get older. Yeah, that's just a bunch of baloney. In fact, I think yourself you are lying to
1: yourself. I that is this is not. No, when I'm young and I yeah, I'm I'm able to do more stuff. Right, you're like yeah, right. Your tastes get better. (laughs) Yeah, you spend more. You're like you know what? I need the ultra HD super five thousand k TV because I deserve it. Yeah, and you just can't stop the spending. I have not seen many folks cut back on on spending. In fact, it usually goes up.
0: I know we got to wrap it up here. And that was kind of a lob I threw right over the plate. But this is what I say to clients uh, when we're preparing for that retirement conversation too. Savers are savers, spenders are spenders. And what's unfortunate is there's not a lot of in between. If all you've done is save, I'm going to be the one that's begging you to please spend some of this in retirement. And guess what? You're probably not. However, if you're the one that I've been saying, you need to save more, we got to stop spending so much, you're not going to stop spending just because you're retired.
1: Yeah, you're going to go to that home show and you're going to buy a new lawnmower and you're going to, you know, do that nice
0: DAC upgrade. Every, I mean, that's just how it goes. Yep. Uh, savers are savers, spenders are spenders. Yeah. I haven't decided what I am yet. I know what you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this was fun. We could go on forever with these, but oh, gosh. These our are time fun. is up. So. Thanks for having a drink with us this week, folks. It's time to close out the tab. If you have a question or a topic you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance Podcast, be sure to email us at podcast at bluejfg.com. We might have some time to do that next week. We would love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with the latest action by following us on Facebook, Old Fashioned Finances, brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's BlueJFG.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Caleb and Jason. Cheers. Boom goes the dynamite. Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC. Blue Jay is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to a consumer in a particular state by Blue Jay and the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written consent on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay unless otherwise